With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Here comes a lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go. Welcome one, welcome all to another playoff edition of Lightning Round Podcast. I am Garrett Sisti, which is the same on Twitter. Jamie is at lightning underscore round. We got a lot of donations this week. We're going to roll right through these generous donations. Thank you, everybody. And then we'll go over the schedule coming up this week. Who we got first, Jamie? Uh, first donation is Marcus Terigian, our greatest benefactor. We also got a donation from Lawrence Aquaboa. Scott S., who says, hashtag money badger. Meant to do this a few weeks ago. Glad we get to keep the, these playoff pr- podcasts rolling. Thank God for uh, that. Luke, I know, no kidding. Uh, Luke Wegnaka. That would suck if it was one and done and we didn't get to <laughs> do any more podcasts. Uh, Luke says, for some more victory ice cream. We had plenty of it after that win. I know you did, and I, I loved all those victory <laughs> ice cream tweets. I was enjoying that quite a bit. <laughs> yep. Uh, the next donation is from Brian Taylor in Brighton, Michigan, who says, Keep up the great work, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Go Bolts. Michael Trebrizi, been listening to you guys through all the tough years of being a fan on this team. Getting a playoff W is so satisfying. Keep up the excellent work on the pod. Thanks, Michael. Tim Dalton says, Half a couple beers on me. Love the podcast. Best, anal- best analysis for the Chargers. Makes my commute easier every week. I'm a fan from the U.K., 
been a fan since 2011 when I was at the season opener versus the Vikings. Stay up late almost every Sunday during the season, but it's worth it for wins like tonight. I'm not saying I'm confident, but I have been checking out the prices for flights to Atlanta. Thanks, guys. Keep it up, Tim. Man, UK to Atlanta, huh? That That's dedication. That's devotion right there. <laughs> Cheers, Tim. Thank you. Uh, Antonio Stevens, you should be able to get one or two barrel-aged bottles with this beer money installment. Great breakdown last week. Clearly the best Chargers podcast out there. Keep it up, and thank you. Of course we're the best Chargers podcast out there. What are you listening to? Was that ever in question? Uh, Kyle Posey's <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Nobody's listening to that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and finally, Aaron Vrabel, if the Chargers host the AFC Championship game, you guys have to come and stop by my tailgate in Thunder Alley. Beer's on me. Thank you, Aaron. Two last donations that snuck in towards the end. One from Eric Sashwa. The whole office listens to you guys. It's the least we can do. So shout out to Eric, Kenny, and Darren from Lenders Access. They're listening to the show in the office. So thank you. Appreciate you guys listening and cranking it up. When he said he listened to us at work, I assumed he listened at a mental asylum. But uh, this is even better than a mental institution, which is kind of our core audience anyway. But thank you for cranking us up, Eric. Appreciate it, Eric, Kenny, Darren. And one last one right before we recorded from Joseph Cruz. He says, you guys have to work overtime this week. Have a few beers on me. Thank you, Joseph, Eric, Aaron, Antonio, Tim, Michael, Brian, Luke, Scott, Lawrence, Marcus. Love you all. Thank you. And so last week, uh, speaking of overtime, thank you, Joseph Cruz, for the easy segue. Joseph is referring to... The extra work we're doing this week, which is two podcasts. You know, when we ended the season in week 17, we just did a recap. This week, we got to do recap and a preview. So you've got this preview podcast right now. We'll preview the win against the Ravens. And then as a separate podcast later on this week, which is hopefully this Thursday, we're going to do a Patriots preview podcast. That's two lightning round podcasts. You can also call it a Scoremore podcast with my special uh-huh. guest host. <laughs> no. Two lightning round podcasts this week, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday. And the more they keep winning, the more you're going to hear more Garrett and Jamie. So two lightning round podcasts this week, hopefully the New England breakdown coming up on Thursday. Yes. Very excited to be doing multiple podcasts. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it for the playoffs. So. Let's get rolling. Let's get our let's get our recap going so we can start prepping for the the uh, the preview. Because <laughs> as soon as we end this be, one, all right, we'll be studying film for the next two nights. I might not sleep. <laughs> all right, Jamie. Well, let's get right into it. Let's. Uh, of course, we got our three important storylines from this win against Baltimore in Baltimore. This uh, crazy wild card win. Talk to me about your first headline. So my first headline, and this is something I mentioned on Twitter during the game, is to me I think the overarching storyline of this game is that the Chargers bullied the bullies of the AFC North. They go across the country to play in Baltimore. They get a 10 a.m. start. They're a 12-win team going all the way across the country to play a 10-win team, which a lot of people were unhappy about. Um, The Ravens had pretty much battered them and abused them and bullied them in week 16 uh pretty much dominated that game even though it was close for much of the game and everybody for all week long anybody who talked about the game basically or at least people who got paid to talk about the game said the chargers can't win this game there's too much on their plate they can't handle lamar they can't handle the defense they can't handle the 10 a.m start they can't handle it on playing on the road there's no way they're going to win this game they're done they're toast so what do they do? They go all the way across the country, play the 10 a.m. start. 
they robbed the the Ravens of their identity, completely robbed them of their identity. They shut down the running game early in the game, have Lamar Jackson all out of sorts with all kinds of interior pressure. They're turning the ball over. They're throwing picks. They're fumbling the ball. Um, completely took them out of their game plan, just bullied them and muscled them, basically punched the bully in the mouth and watched them wilt, which was a beautiful thing. And the icing on the cake, they outcoached the Ravens, who did such a good job about coaching them in week 16. We saw some major adjustments on defense where the Chargers basically just suffocated the the Ravens offense and said, nope, you can't move the ball unless we're willing to let you move the ball. And that's pretty much how the game went out played out so you go you to go all the way across the country and play a team like that that prides itself on being tough and physical and pounding and wearing teams down and to beat them the way they did and control that game for 51 minutes the way they did was really impressive and i think it really speaks to how this team is different from past chargers teams and i think it is a reason that people need to start looking at this team in a different light because Past teams would have got punched in the mouth in the first quarter and folded in the cold, and they would have come home limping and battered and bruised, and we all would have been so disappointed and let down because they just didn't show up and they got run over. Not this team. This team plays with a different edge, completely different mental and physical edge, and they went in that game with the intention of dominating, and it looked to me like they were tired of hearing about that Ravens defense and the Chargers defense had something to prove. So... Kudos for the game planning, which we'll get into here in a minute. Kudos for them controlling the game and punching the bully in the mouth, bullying the bullies of the AFC North and taking that game on the road. It's a huge win for this franchise, and it says a lot about the leaders on this team and what kind of team this is in terms of, you know, are they soft? Are they physical? Can they handle this kind of pressure? I think they answered a lot of questions about themselves on Sunday. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and get right into it because my my first storyline is about the game planning. It's about Gus Bradley, and I know you know we couldn't do this podcast without talking about it and tipping our cap to Gus Bradley because he prepared and coached the game of his life on Sunday. We just got to talk about how Gus Bradley prepared his ass off during the week and out coached Marty Morningweg on Sunday. The Chargers went into quarters, and we'll kind of break it down a little bit, go into detail here. Chargers went into corners, meaning they ran seven DBs on the field. We all heard about it after the game. They were basically replaced Rayshon Jenkins for Jatavis Brown when he went down. Rayshon ended up playing free safety. So rather than putting another linebacker on the field, which would would have been Hayes Pollard or Nick DeZubner or Kyle Emanuel, which we heard about during the week from <laughs> Anthony Lynn, nice little uh, nice little misdirection by Lynn during the week, which uh, scared us for sure. We bought because it. When, when we, oh, we bought it. When we saw Nick DeZubner's name, hook, line, and sinker, man. You put DeZubner on there, freaked us out a little bit, but – played Kyle Emanuel for one snap. It was seven DBs for on 58 of their 59 total snaps on Sunday. Uh, like Schefter said, no team had used seven DBs for more than 18 snaps in a game this season. So what that does and what Gus decided to do and what we talked about in the preview was matching speed for speed. Baltimore's quick, and rather than sitting back and having a linebacker attack a gap, Chargers put a quicker DB in. And they went and won downhill. Uh, they shut down one of the hottest rushing offenses in the league. And it got a little bit more complex, too. And there was a little bit nice little wrinkle, which I appreciated, which was the bear front from Gus. And uh, Lou Riddick you know, calls, called it the uh, double eagle front, but it's, a, it's the same thing. Uh, basically, what they did is they had three down linemen go head up on the interior offensive linemen, meaning you know Phylon and Isaac Rochelle and Justin Jackson and T.Y. McGill 
Damian Square, even Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, a combo of those three would go guard, center, guard, and basically create a wall in the interior. And then you would see these ends, with whether it was Ingram or Nuosu or Bosa, crashing down on the edges, and they boxed in Lamar Miller, and they bottled up the running game. Baltimore averaged 229 rushing yards per game with Lamar Jackson, a quarterback. Chargers held them to 90 on Sunday. And we saw some unbelievable performances on Sunday. Melvin Ingram... Seven ta- I mean, the game of his life, seven tackles, two tackles for a loss, two sacks, forced fumble, had the fumble recovery to seal the game, also had a really nice toss into the stands. Uh, when he got that fumble recovery, threw it into the stands about three sections up, perfect spiral. I mean, they had talked about how he had quite an arm in the offseason. <laughs> that was a pretty good toss in that one. Uh, Adrian Phillips, interception, fumble recovery in the first half. He had three pass deflections. Joey Bosa had a sack. Isaac Rochelle had a sack. Uh, the rookies, Justin Jones, had a sack. Uchenna Nwosu sealed the game with that strip on Lamar Jackson. Derwin James was everywhere. Michael Davis, some beautiful pass deflections, almost had an interception. Those DBs, and something that needs to be mentioned a little bit that I haven't heard mentioned yet, is that those DBs get swallowed at the second level if it weren't for those defensive tackles and that bare front up front. It just seemed like those guys were uh, going man-on-man and they were winning their battles up front, and it was allowing those DBs, whether it's Jaleel Adai at the linebacker spot or Adrian Phillips or Derwin James or whoever it was coming downhill, were able to come downhill because they were creating a wall up front. So uh, big on those defensive tackles, and they were just the unsung heroes on Sunday. And I say this with, and, you know, uh, Jamie, you've already heard me say this, and I know that you echo the same sentiments, but... I say this with sincerity, and maybe you don't, you know, not the exact same words, but in all sincerity, and you could probably quote me when Gus Bradley gets fired and this blows up in my face, but the game plan that Gus ran out on Sunday is the type of innovative game plan you see from coaches that changes defenses in the NFL for years to come. This game in particular will project Gus Bradley on that path to head coaching conversation again. It just seems like every potential head coach has that calling card. You know, whether you're an offensive mind or a defensive mind, you're a QB whisperer or you took an offense led by Tim Tebow <laughs> to the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> air quotes. A, air quotes. <laughs> there's always something to point to. And, you know, Gus Bradley had the Legion of Boom. This game in particular, beating John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson in the playoffs and out coaching them would be Gus Bradley's calling card. And the other thing that gets him into the conversation was this quarters package. Now, Gus went against the grain here, and we've never seen it in this capacity. Now, obviously, you see the NFL kind of moving in a more hybrid, get your athletes on the field type of uh, package here, but... The way that he went all in and said, we're playing all seven DBs and we're just getting our best athletes on the field to beat you with speed. Our best athletes, Angelie Ladai. Yeah, Angelie Ladai was beautiful. He's got DBs taking on angles against blocks rather than having your like traditional Mike take on offensive linemen head on to clear a path. That's beautiful. They've got Derwin James, Adrian Phillips, even Des King. They're all being used kind of as like Swiss Army knives. They're lining them up near the line of scrimmage. You know, they're letting them roam a little bit and you don't know who's coming, who's going. There's this big guessing game and this, this move was way ahead of the curve for Gus and is just unreal when we saw it on Sunday. We had we had kind of mentioned maybe we see we see a little bit more of Rayshon Jenkins uh playing over Jatavis Brown. We didn't think 
this much Rayshon Jenkins, but the absolute right move. And the Chargers have been doing this. They've been getting more athletes with Derwin. They even got Kaiser White, who's more of a hybrid. They're wanting to put them all on the field and be fast and physical. And though it may not last long for the Chargers, we'll see going into Foxborough this weekend, but he did something special on Sunday. And hats off to Gus, and this is just an unbelievable move and an innovative concept for Gus Bradley to do it in the playoffs and work to such a success against the Ravens. Yeah, it was a huge change, and I think it's something that I I kind of get the feeling it's something they've been building towards for at least a couple off seasons now, right? Because yeah. you know they've been bringing Phillips along, and they went out and they got Kaiser White, and they went out and they signed Jalen Watkins, who's hurt but probably figures into a role like this at some point if he comes back healthy. Um, they even went out and they signed Tony Brown, who would have played a similar role had he made the team. It seems like they're really all in on. Let's just get as much speed and athleticism on the field as we can, and we'll figure out where to send everybody and how everybody's going to fit into that role. And I think it's something that, like you mentioned, it's something teams are going to start copying because it works so well. Even though you're undersized on your front, if you've got guys who can read their keys like linebackers, get downhill, shoot through gaps, and make tackles, you're you're combining intelligence, instincts, and speed. And athleticism, yeah. And athleticism. Now you're beating linemen to the blocks. So, you know, you mentioned the bare front kept them clean. A lot of what keeps them clean is they're coming downhill before the linemen are coming upfield. Mm-hmm. So they're beating linemen to their spots with their athleticism, shooting gaps and making those tackles in the backfield of the line of scrimmage, what have you. Uh, I think, you know, everybody tried to copy the Legion of Boom. Right. When Gus was in Seattle, it was get big corners, get six-foot-two-inch long corners who can run, have them beat up on people, have them grind people to a pulp. And everybody tried to copy that. And I think what a lot of people found out was it worked in Seattle because they had special players and you can't necessarily (laughs) copy it. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. But I think this is the next thing you're going to see people copy because they can cover the whole field. It's the only defense that I've seen that can literally cover the entire field, whether you're – Rushing the passer, stopping the run. You can run sideline to sideline. You've got Adrian Phillips dropping back and covering those deep, the deep crossing patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're playing out. They're playing man to man outside. They're playing some combination of man and zone inside. They're taking away the whole middle of the field. I mean, there's really no part of the field they can't cover. So if you can get those guys who are smart and can run and are long and can you know do those kind of things you give your defense a lot more options. It's easier to, to rely on four guys to get to the quarterback. And, of course, the Chargers have Bosa and Ingram, which makes it even that much easier. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're more comfortable dropping guys because you know you have guys who can run with the tight ends. You yeah. know, now you're matching up with wide receivers. You're matching up with running backs. You're matching up with tight ends. You don't have those gross mismatches that we're so used to seeing the Chargers in particular have in the middle of the defense. So I, I think this is something they're going to stay committed to. And I think it's something that sets up well – with pretty much all of the AFC playoff teams and probably a lot of the NFC playoff teams too, just from a standpoint of, you know, you look at the Patriots in particular next week and we'll do the recap later or the the preview later in the week, but they throw the ball underneath the running backs a lot. They're looking to get the ball to Gronk. Everything they do is in the middle of the field with crossing patterns to their undersized wide receivers. The Chargers now are equipped to take away all those weapons with their size and their length and their athleticism, and they can come downhill and fill the gaps against the run. So... I think this is something that certainly carries over into New England, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win in New England if it carries over into the AFC Championship game because people haven't seen enough of it 
to know how to handle it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Baltimore did try to counter it uh, partway through the third quarter. They went heavy and tried to get after those DBs at the second level, and it just did not work. They didn't have an answer for it. I mean, they, they stuck to the same game plan, but they tried to get a little bit heavier, and they tried to outman Adrian Phillips and Jaleel Adai, and they, they just couldn't, they couldn't do it. They didn't have an answer for it. And they, their offense didn't get going until, you know, there was that soft shell towards the end of the game. Until the Chargers let them move the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the game plan, and it's a, a lot of what Gus did were things that we specifically mentioned in the preview last week. You know, we didn't necessarily talk about the seven DBs on the field, but we talked about having eight guys in the box. We talked about really focusing on containment on the edges. And to me, the first play of the game when they try to run that RPO to, to Jackson and Bosa pops out and wait, stays home and waits for him and Derwin, Derwin finishes him, you're like, okay, they, they're ready to handle this. They're yeah. ready to go. That to me told me that they're gonna they were gonna be able to handle that offense because they were ready for that handoff. They played it perfectly and they never really stopped playing it perfectly the rest of the game. Oh yeah. Um and you mentioned the interior pressure that freezes Jackson in the pocket. It confused him as a runner, it confused him as a passer. He couldn't see over the lineman. He had guys in his face all day long, played man to man basically across the board for most of the game and really suffocated a very undermanned and talent deficient group of um, skill players for the Ravens, yeah. which is something we talked about. Closed down those la- those passing lanes, takes away the middle of the field. And the big thing, an article came out, and I, I don't know if you saw it, Garrett, but there was an article that came out talking about in film study, the Chargers saw something that told them basically whether the, whether the, the Ravens were going to run the ball or pass the ball. And it's something we talked about on the preview. It had to do with the personnel groupings of the tight ends, where they were lining up, and who was on the field. And it played out pretty much just like I said. The Ravens love to run the ball right. They love to run the ball behind Nick Boyle with Max Williams as a a fullback. And they didn't change anything from the Week 16 matchup. And you can see the Chargers on tape keying on on the tight ends and linebackers shifting over to the side of the line where they know the run is coming and just waiting for the, the running back to come come to them so they can make the tackle. I mean, they were basically calling out plays early in that game. They knew exactly what was coming because the Ravens didn't change anything from one game to the next. And they also mentioned that they noticed on tape that Ronnie Stanley's stance dictated whether they were running or passing. Um, his feet are more narrow when they pass, a little bit more wide when they when they run the ball. So keying on things they see in tape, it obviously shows you that Gus really did his homework, was fully prepared for what they were going to find, and they knew exactly what they wanted to do and how they wanted to attack it. And, I mean, outside of the last nine minutes of the game where they backed off and let the Ravens move the ball, they completely dominated the line of scrimmage, and the Ravens had no answers for what the Chargers were doing. It was, I mean, it was amazing. It was one of probably the best defensive performance I've seen out of the Chargers in I don't know how long, eight, ten years. I mean, it was yeah. phenomenal. Unreal. So uh, go ahead and uh, give me your second storyline. Well, that was my second storyline. <laughs> okay. The, the game plan. <laughs> Since you already <laughs> did my my um, my second storyline, I'll just bump number three up to number two for the purposes of the show, and I'll say that I'm going to talk about some of the individual performances the Chargers had in that game that really changed the course of the game. Um, obviously, everybody wants to talk about Michael Badgley, the Chargers kicker, five of six on field goals. Every single Ravens drive during the course of that game, it started after a Chargers score, started inside the Baltimore 25-yard line, which tells you he was kicking the ball well, and the coverage teams were doing a good job of chasing down the return men. Um, His only miss came on a bobbled snap 
by Donnie Jones and a missed block by um, by Dan Feeney that led to a block kick. Otherwise, who knows, maybe he's 6-for-6. Six six. He was fantastic, hit a 53-yarder into the wind, uh, I believe late in the second quarter. And once again, I mean, just keeping his head down, making kicks. There's no nerves in this kid. Uh, doesn't seem like there's anything that shakes him. He's just money. So kudos to him for a great game. You mentioned Melvin Ingram. Seven tackles, two tackles for loss, two sacks, a, fumble, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Basically the game of his life. Adrian Phillips, six tackles, three passes broken up, a fumble recovery, and an interception. Again, kind of a modest tackle total, but pretty much the game of his life. Joey Bosa, two tackles, a sack. He led all defenders in the wild card round of the playoffs and pressures with six. Uh, six pressures. Michael Davis maybe had his best game of the year. Two tackles, two passes broken up. Very nearly had an interception in the fourth quarter on the Ravens' first touchdown drive, I believe. Darius Phylon and Justin Jones. And even you can throw Isaac Rochelle in there and Damian Square. All those guys, they plug gaps. They provided pressure. Uh, the Chargers did a really nice job of really attacking Matt Skura and James Hurst. And later on in the game, Bradley Bozeman, the left guard, just abused those guys and gave them fits the whole game. The interior linemen deserve a ton of credit. Des King, two long returns. I think he had a sack, five or six tackles in the game. Uh, he was everywhere. His returns probably should have set up two touchdown drives. Um, they wound up getting a field goal out of both of them, I believe. Uh, but he was electric as a return man again. And you just see the Chargers are winning. That they're not, you know, the offense isn't doing as well as we all would like to see it do, or as as we might expect it to do. But it's a group of guys that are contributing, and it's somebody different every week. And those are the kind of things that win, not just playoff games, but hopefully championships, because they're getting they're getting production up and down the roster from everybody, and it's carrying them to wins. So all those guys deserve a ton of credit. And the roster as a whole really deserves a ton of credit for the way they played that game and really just wouldn't let the Ravens bully them into a bully them out of their game, which is what happened in the first matchup. Not anybody you've mentioned so far, but uh, uh, somebody I want to talk about, or at least a, a position group, and that's the offensive line. And I think they really answered the call this week because during that Week 16 matchup, the Chargers offensive line got pushed around, especially the three in the interior, Dan Feeney, Mike Pouncey, Michael Schofield, we talked about on the preview. You know, a key to this game was to keep Rivers clean. And more time than not, they gave him enough time, especially since the last time they met. And uh, Rivers had time to operate on Sunday. The Ravens interior, Michael Pierce, Brandon Williams, Brent Urban, they teed off on Rivers the first time around. And the offensive line, while not perfect, did enough to give Rivers time to operate. Rivers and Wiz also had a good adjustment to throw at pressure. When, uh, to slow it down a couple of times, we saw those back-to-back dump-offs to Austin Eckler with a man coming free off the edge. The O-line had a really tough assignment against Baltimore. They're really good, and I know Pierce left early in that game, but they excelled, and then some. The communication was so much better. The stunts and twists were uh, much better. Even some delayed blitz were stopped early in their progression, and the Ravens' edge rushers couldn't really get home either. Last time, they gave up four sacks on Rivers. On Sunday, they had one total sack. All game long. Shout out to Sam Tevy too, who I thought probably played 
better than any lineman on Sunday. Again, not perfect, but uh, did a nice job on Zadarius Smith most of that game. He had a sack and a half last time they met, shut him down most of the time. That offensive line really gave Rivers a chance, and they should have helped the team win that game on that last carry when on that phantom holding call on Russell Okung. But either way, the O-line was focused, handled their business, and this was when it really counted, and they answered the call. So good on the offensive line. Again, not perfect. There was still some pressure on Rivers, but for the most part, most time on Sunday, they did a good job up front. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they did a much better job. And uh, to your point, Garrett, uh, Sam Tebby was the fifth highest-ranked Chargers offensive player, according to PFF, on Sunday. That makes sense. He was the only lineman that made that list. Yeah, so, yeah, I thought he was the best lineman on Sunday. Yeah, he played very well in then that's another thing, you know. I mentioned Justin Jones. You get that performance out of out of Sam Tevy. You're getting guys, at, you know, not at the bottom of the depth chart, but guys that you wouldn't expect to make major contributions, making meaningful contributions. Yeah, and that that's huge this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's finish these headlines off. What's your last one here? So my last one, I was I had all positive, but you stole my, my positive. Oh no, so gonna, you're gonna go negative after a playoff win? Don't do just it some to things- me. Just some things that I think they need to clean up a little bit. A couple things that I noticed watching the film after the game is they've got a little bit of a leak in the middle of their pump protection schemes. Um, uh, Buck Allen blocked a punt in the third quarter. He nearly blocked the first punt of the game, and I think there might have been one other one that he almost blocked, and they were basically just having him wait behind the line and shoot through the gap after everybody had committed to their man. I think Adrian Phillips saved a couple of their punts from potentially being blocked by by Allen. It's the same kind of delayed blitz that we saw from the Rams in week three. Uh, now it's popping back up again, so it's something they need to get cleaned up. Obviously, we talked about Donnie Jones bobbling the one snap. Kind of give him a pass because he was only one out of six, but still he needs to tighten that up a little bit. And I thought Wiz's game plan, as as good of a job as Gus did game planning, I thought Wiz's game plan was pretty vanilla. And it looked like a game plan that spoke to really a coach that didn't think his line could handle what they had to face, and he just didn't do any planning. I mean, there there were really no changes from the first game. Uh, We saw a little bit of running outside, which was a nice change, Um, but... They couldn't get the ball to Allen. They couldn't get the ball downfield. They they still are not featuring the running backs in the passing game to the extent that they were earlier in the season. And I don't know if that's because they're afraid they're still injured and they're trying to protect them or if they've just lost track of it, but they just can't get the balls to the backs in space, which is something that really fueled the passing game early in the year. So uh, that's something that I, I hope they address. I still would like to see them play with more tempo. I feel like they just bog things down and it slows them down at times and gets to prevent them from getting into a rhythm. And the one complaint on defense is I'm a little worried about Casey Hayward because he did not play very well Oh no! Um, on Sunday. He did not. I think, you know, he had the one pass breakup that led to Adrian Phillips' interception, but he gave up two touchdowns. There were at least two or three other times where it looked like he struggled with double moves and got beat deep. Uh, he basically couldn't run with Michael Crabtree, who, as we talked about in the preview, can't run. So... That's a little worrisome. So just some things to keep an eye on and some ju- some adjustments they can hopefully make there to fix some of those issues, particularly the one in the punt in the punt um, blocking the punt protection scheme because you know that's something Belichick's going to notice and try to take advantage of. So that's something they definitely have to get fixed. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let me end on a positive note. And uh, we've talked about adjustments. We kind of talked a little bit about Wiz, the offense, a lot about Gus. I want to talk about the man at the helm. Let's talk about Anthony Lynn and his growth as a head coach because it's paying off in the playoffs right now. The adjustments he made not only in this game but all season long, but Coach Lynn are really starting to pay dividends. During the season, there were some key moves uh, that really carried this team into the playoffs. And I know you mentioned a couple earlier. I think you mentioned it on Twitter. But uh, I'll give I'll give you three. Um, one, moving Des King to punt returner, obviously. Travis Benjamin was a wholesale negative as a returner. They inserted Des King after a Benjamin injury. King has sparked the return game. He's a threat to break one at any point. He set up the offense with multiple short fields on Sunday, like you mentioned. I want to say the second long one was after the half, and that's when the block kick happened. So I don't know if points came off both of those, but at least one of them still gave him short fields regardless. Number two, putting Adrian Phillips in the linebacker spot. No single Charger player has made such a monumental leap in their progression during the season more than Adrian Phillips has. He's become a leader of that defense, really started to move a lot faster. This defense could stop the run better. When Phillips was thrusted into the lineup after the Denzel Perryman injury, Phillips was on fire Sunday again, had the interception, fumble recovery, three pass deflections. Another one, cutting Caleb Sturgis and keeping Michael Badgley. You mentioned Badgley. Caleb Sturgis was a mess before and after his injury. Could have been easy to kind of just roll with him because you paid him. He had the money. You want to stick with your guy, but they stashed Badgley on the practice squad just in case. When enough was enough with Sturgis, in came Badgley. Since then, the rookie recorded the longest field goal in Chargers history, most field goals in a game in Chargers history, the most points in a game in Chargers history. He kicked the game winner in Pittsburgh. He's 90% on the year. He was 5 for 6 on Sunday in his first ever playoff game. If it weren't for that double clutch by Donnie Jones, maybe 6 for 6, who knows. But key moves that have richly benefited this team making a playoff run. And early on, even back to earlier this year, we were talking about how Anthony Wynn's getting outcoached a little bit. And Gus was and Wiss was. We go back to week one. Chargers lose to the Chiefs at home. Tyreek Hill goes bananas. He had 169 for two touchdowns. The rematch, Lynn gets his vindication, gets the win in KC. They take Hill away for only 42 yards. Week 11, Chargers let uh, Case Keenum and the Broncos hang around. They win on a last-second field goal. Rematch in week 17. Anthony Lynn gets his vindication again. Chargers stomp the Broncos 23-9. Keenum was nowhere. Now, week 16, Ravens beat him up on the ground. It was just a terrible showing by the Chargers. Multiple turnovers, and they let Mark Andrews hurt them long on a TD. Sunday, in the playoffs, when it matters, Anthony Lynn, again, getting his vindication. The run game goes dark. Andrew is nowhere to be seen. Lynn has grown as a coach all year. Made a few key calls in the game, too. Go back to that fourth and inches. If he kicks the field goal there, this is a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. They go for it. They score the touchdown. Then after that, they go for two. Another big move. Even if they didn't get it, the right move. Ultimately, that's what put the game away. Lynn kicks a field goal, and this is this is a totally different game. It's a lot closer than it already was. Now let's just hope Anthony Lynn has learned from last season week eight loss against New England, and he gets his vindication this Sunday in New England, in the playoffs against the Patriots. Yeah, I think the big thing was, you know, everybody raved about the two-point conversion in Kansas City. And most people thought, well, when push comes to shove, if he's faced with another opportunity to do that, he won't do it. He he doesn't have the balls to do it again. Yeah. And he did it in the playoffs this time yeah. when it really mattered. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for, 
you know, either refining his, his approach or ignoring his gut, not going by the book quite so much and taking more chances. Um, I think his, he and his coaching staff as a whole deserve a whole lot of credit for the development of some of these players at the bottom and middle part of the roster. I mean, you look at guys that have taken quantum leaps forward in their game. You know, Darius Phylon was good last year. He's been really good this year. Adrian Phillips, I mean, he's taken five, six steps forward in his game. The the importance that he has to this team and the way he's playing right now, I mean, you just can't replace what he's doing for this team. He's been amazing for since they inserted him in the lineup in week five. He's been phenomenal. Um, you know, we as much as we mocked Jalil Adai, they move him down into the box for this game. He played a lot of middle linebacker and will. Played very well against the Ravens, had I think six or seven tackles and no glaring mistakes outside of giving up a pass completion on the first third down of the game. He played very well, responded to being, you know, down closer to the line of scrimmage. Who else? I mean, Justin Jones has developed during the course of the season. You see them unleashing Uchenna Nwosu as a defensive end as opposed to a linebacker late in the game in a key situation. He gets a strip sack. Melvin Ingram recovers it. His development as a pass rusher, being able to add moves and get off the line more quickly, he's come a long way. You mentioned Des King. He was really good last year. He's been even better this year, and now he's doing it on special teams too. I mean, they they're get they're finding these guys in the you know fifth, sixth round, undrafted free agents. They're coaching them up, and Damian scores another one. All these guys have taken huge leaps. Michael Davis. Michael Davis. All even Mike Williams. Even Mike Williams. All I mean, Williams was a first round pick, but. He doesn't really fit the narrative. But with the year he had last year. Yeah. All these guys are making huge, huge leaps. They're making massive uh, contributions to what the Chargers are doing in this playoff run, and they've all played a key role. So the coaching staff as a whole deserves a whole lot of credit, and I think Ron Miles is a guy who I'd be on a lookout for possible head coaching opportunities, if at the very least a defensive coordinator opportunity because of the job he's done with this secondary, how far along he's brought Michael Davis uh, the development in Phillips uh, King. I mean, I mean he's he is as important to the seven the seven defensive back front that the Chargers used on Sunday as as Gus is because he's the one that's coaching these guys. So DB coach, yeah. the coaching staff as a whole, yeah, he's the DB goat. He's the DB coach, and I think this coaching staff as a whole deserves a lot of credit for the development of these players and how they're bringing these guys along at all levels of the roster. Cause a lot of these guys you look at when they bring them in and you're like, what do they see in this guy? Mm-hmm. And now they're producing. So I think they all deserve, deserve a lot of credit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Everybody. It was a great win all around a uh, great game plan. Great preparation. Can't ask for anything better than that, man. No major injuries. That's another thing. They've been uh, – well, I don't want to jinx anything, but let's just say uh, – Yeah, don't say it out loud, please. I won't say anything out loud. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot of things go in the Chargers' way this season and also in that game on Sunday. So uh, good on the coaching staff, and that's going to do it for the Ravens recap. Coming up, Patriots preview in a couple days. I am at Garrisisti on Twitter. Jamie? At Lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. 
It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.